the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. What has Frank Peretti been up to? He, the New York Times bestselling author of such favorites as This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, The Oath, The Visitation. Well, Frank has been busy, and now he's back with a brand new novel entitled Illusion, already on the New York Times bestselling list. And Frank Peretti, is always great to have you on the program. Well, man, I am really glad to be with you. Thanks a lot. And delighted to have you back with yet another great, exciting novel. This one, kind of an interesting one, and I think one that, in reading through this, even though I think perhaps, Frank, a lot of us would consider your work as sort of a, a novels targeted toward adults, the aspect of magic that you bring into this new novel, I think, has got something for everybody. Oh, it's a, it's a really cool story. Um, I keep imagining it like a movie. I, I can really see it as a family kind of movie, too, uh, it's just got some great visuals and with all the magic tricks and the effects and uh, the characters delightful too. Hey, give us kind of an overview. And of course, we never want to give away the plot. But as I understand it, um, you you follow the life of a husband and wife team who suddenly, in a tragic car accident, the wife dies, or so we think. Or so we think. And Dane, this Dane and Mandy, they've been a magic act for forty years. But they're separated, of course. There's a terrible car wreck, and Mandy is supposedly killed. Dane retires, moves up to Idaho, gets a ranch, and he just kind of grieves his loss, wondering what in the world he's going to do, and he misses her so much. In the meantime, Mandy, who, well, we thought she was dead, but bam, it's one of those uh, weird, mysterious science fiction kind of things that we don't know what in the world's happened. It's part of the mystery. She ends up as the 19-year-old girl she was back in 1970. And here she is in 2010. And uh, she thinks she's crazy. Everybody else does, too. She ends up in a mental ward for a while because here's this girl in 2010 thinking that she's from 1970. And, uh, well, she gets away from the mental ward. And she's a magician by trade. She does magic tricks. She did from junior high and high school and was in talent shows and things, so she goes out on the sidewalk and starts doing magic tricks uh, for people, just trying to get a few tips to survive because she can't get a job or anything. Well, while she's out there on the sidewalk, she runs into this 60-year-old man who happens to be a pretty good magician himself. He begins to mentor her and tell her how to perform and how to uh, increase her skills and so forth, and so begins this relationship. But, of course, what you have here is Mandy, who thinks she's crazy because she thinks she's from 1970, and then you have Dane, who has just lost his wife and is grieving for his wife, and now he's looking at a girl who's the spitting image of the girl he met and fell in love with 40 years ago. And so now you have the mystery and the romance all beginning to wind up. And uh, so here we go. You know, what's fascinating about this, this journey, Frank, that you take us on inside the pages of illusion that really, in many respects, sort of transcends time and space, something that ironically, I think all of us have have dreamed of doing either for the pure fascination of it or maybe with the thought in mind of being able to go back and 
change our path or right some wrongs or or somehow be able to have a, an ultimate uh, better outcome uh, of the future. That's really interesting. Uh, that was part of what goes into this when I was writing the thing is going back over my life and, and the places I've been and how much things have changed over the years. Uh, for instance, Mandy is suddenly in a world of cell phones and computers and uh, wireless networks. Uh, none of that stuff existed in 1970. And uh, it's just amazing how fast things can change. And what would we have done differently? <laughs> when you start playing around with time, all kinds of questions come up. Oh, undoubtedly so. And then, of course, on top of that, you, you mix in this element of magic. Now, talk to me about that, because I've, I've got to imagine, just based on your, your previous bestsellers down through the years, which folks are all familiar with, going back to this present darkness and so forth, you obviously have a broad and very fertile mind, most of that concentrated in the supernatural and looking at, you know, what goes on in, in the other realm that, that we're all present in, um, and yet into this novel you fold in the fascination of magic. Was this something that attracted you, Frank, even as a kid? Yeah, I've always... Uh, I've never been a magician myself, but of course I always liked a good magic act. And you can't beat a good magic act for uh, visual stuff. It can be very interesting to watch. And... Uh, I was time warps and interdimensional travel and all kinds of really interesting things that, oh man, it works perfectly when you have a magician who's suddenly, as Mandy, in Mandy's case, and just able to perform illusions that nobody can explain. And it all ties into the uh, mysterious scientific thing that's going on in the background and who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It's a, it's a gradually building mystery. And so it's all organic to the story and highly visual and fun at the same time. And toward that degree, I mean, you don't approach this in the novel casually. I mean, you, you actually brought in a professional magician, I understand, to serve as kind of a consultant. So that as you're working at bring, bringing the visual to life through words, you, you were really looking for a great degree of realism here, weren't you? Oh, my. That's what made it so much fun, uh, doing all the research for this. Tony Brent, he's a magician down in Orlando, Florida. He plays, uh, performs all the time at uh, a place called Wonderworks in Orlando, Florida. Wonderful Christian brother, and he is absolutely hilarious. Now, he's really funny. And he does some amazing illusions just uh, as a matter of riotous performance. You know? <laughs> and, uh, oh, he spent a whole lot of time with me and gave me a whole list of books to read and uh, I bought magic tricks and I read books and I subscribed to Magic Magazine for two years and uh, it's really a fascinating field and I really respect these men and women that get into this field who are really good at what they do because it is hard I tried to a couple magic tricks myself and made a fool myself <laughs> it, it takes a lot of practice to do what they do and yet what's interesting about all of this is that even though we're watching magic and it takes us to a whole different realm that clearly uh, tricks our eyes, tricks our mind, that, that sense of what really isn't, but they're trying to convince us that it is, uh, there are some parallels to that in the spiritual realm, aren't there? Well, there's, yeah, the whole point of uh, illusion, like the... Mandy and Dane spent their lives creating illusions and uh, entertaining people with the idea that, oh, they're seeing something that isn't really the way they think it is. Uh, at the same time, they're kind of trapped in a weird situation where 
actually part of an illusion themselves. And that speaks symbolically of our struggles here in the spiritual realm where we are trying to discern truth from error and often we are in a situation in our lives where we think, well, what does the scripture say? There is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. Um, a deception can set in and we can think we're doing okay, but things aren't the way we think they are. And, of course, ironically, then, in that regard, I guess the, the, the great master illusionist would be Satan himself, uh, who, you know, from the very beginning there in the Garden of Eden, question hath God said, is it all that it really appears to be? Uh, and, and immediately to get our minds kind of thinking down a different track, that uh, we mix the, the differences between what is reality and what is fantasy, or maybe uh, more appropriately so in the spiritual dynamic, uh, what is good and what is evil. Well, exactly, and that's part of the one of the themes of the illusion is Mandy is the one who's lost in this huge illusion where she doesn't know who she is or when or where she is, doesn't, and uh, it's part of the struggle for her to weave through all of this and uh, gain as a type of Christ becomes her guiding light. And if she just kind of keeps aiming for him and follows his counsel, she gets through all this web of deception. And so it's an interesting symbolism that runs through the book. She's, uh, like I said, from the book, she's like a salmon swimming up river. She is going to get there, and nothing's going to stop her. And often that's exactly the way we are in our walk and our struggles and so forth. We just have that goal of heaven in mind. And with God to guide us and Jesus as our Lord and our wisdom, we we weave through it, you know, and we withstand all the deception and we finally get there. Ooh, that's and, cool. That's a great thought. <laughs> and, of course, one of the exciting things here, too, as much as we, we began talking about that sense that this is a journey inside the pages of illusion that, that sort of transcends time and space and, and something that we've all dreamed of doing when we can go in and manipulate things to change the outcome, where in real life, while we can't do that, uh, we, we can change the outcome insofar as the end results. I think about man's separation from God based on our sin. And while there's no way to go back and undo the ways in which we have offended a holy and righteous God, there is a way that we can nevertheless escape, escape the penalty that we are due through the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. And that is so precious. And you know, it's the grace of the Lord that follows us, the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are, you know, I, I like to think of King David, you know, who stumbled in so many ways. It wasn't it wasn't just with Bathsheba. He, he, he was a man of clay like any of the rest of us, and yet he had a heart for God, and God recognized that and always honored David as a man after his own heart. And uh, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I, I, I stumble in many ways, but I walk in the grace of God. I walk in the righteousness that's, uh, that, that's mine in Christ. And, oh, man, when I get to the end of my life, I want the Lord to be able to say, Frank did a good job. He, <laughs> he messed up here and there, but you know what? He's a man after my own heart. Our conversation today with New York Times bestselling author Frank Peretti, the latest book entitled Illusion, now available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as on Amazon.com. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation with Frank Peretti as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest today. We are delighted, as always, to have New York Times bestselling author Frank Peretti join us on the program. This time around, we're talking about Frank's latest book, just newly released. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it, of course, online. Recently made its way right up to the New York Times bestseller list, as we would have anticipated from Frank, a new book entitled Illusion. Interesting in this novel, as we were mentioning before the break, Frank, because you you, you draw in a great deal of magic into the book, and so that there's that sense of escapism and yet some of the some of the strong realities that we have to deal with in life. And, and in that regard, uh, very much like your previous best-selling novels where you've warned us of some of the, the realities that we face, particularly as believers, whether we're dealing with the reality of the danger of, of, of the spread of new ageism in our society today or just the reality of the, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual minefield that we find ourselves in. Oh, yeah. Uh, every book I've written, it... You can almost trace where I've been in my walk with the Lord and the things that have concerned me that I felt I should write about. Uh, just check the books like The Darkness books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. The words are actually about spiritual warfare, addressing the encroachment of neo-paganism culture and how demonic and you know demonic spirits and their influence can be a reality. When I wrote the visitation, I was writing about our our questions, our doubts, our struggles with our faith that happens sometimes, and how we kind of want to have a Jesus of our own making who gives us what we want instead of making us take our vitamins and finish our dinner, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wrote I, in this book, Illusion. I just wanted to write about the beauty of marriage and how God gave us marriage and, and a beautiful wife as such a wonderful symbolism of. Jesus and his church. Um, it's a beautiful pattern. You mentioned earlier about a number of your films, Frank, that have made it to the big screen. I think of The Visitation, which was adapted for film back in 2006, others as well. Uh, kind of a, a passion of yours, as I recall, I think I read somewhere that you had studied film and screenwriting at UCLA. This new book, it sounds like it's got tremendous potential to make it to the big screen and, and with a great degree of excitement, given um, all of the wonderful uh, magic that uh, takes place throughout the pages of Illusion. Well, this book would make an absolutely tremendous movie because it has all the right ingredients. It has adventure. It has a deep and wonderful, very meaningful romance in it. It'd be a great movie. It's a good movie for the family, too. Uh, Good feel, good story. This is, you know, obviously a great reward for many authors to see their um, books eventually make it to the big screen, even though there's sometimes frustration in the in the way in which things kind of lose something in the translation. For you, was this a passion from the very beginning? In other words, even when you sat down and wrote some of your early big bestsellers like This Present Darkness and, and Piercing the Darkness to go back a better part of 20 years, was there an idea even behind uh, those books at the time that you'd hoped that they would make it to the big screen? And that, that dream kind of stayed with me even into my adult years. And so that was the way I was going. But, of course, that is such a very, very difficult and complicated business. God, in his divine plan, decided that uh, I should just be a novelist. And so that's what I'm doing today. Uh, well, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> And, of course, along the way, you, you get the pleasure once in a while of seeing one of your works to, in fact, to make it to the big screen. Now, when you are not busy uh, writing or adapting your books for the big screen, uh, do you still fiddle around with the banjo? I understand at one time you used to play uh, a pretty mean banjo in the bluegrass group. 
I sure did. I played in a group called Northern Cross, and we were a band for nine and a half years. And Yeah, I played the banjo, and, uh, well, I don't know, I listened to our CD, and I guess I was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, does, now does, does Barbara still let you uh, break the banjo out once in a while and do that? Can you play it around the house okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just, I had it up this morning, as a matter of fact. I was trying to get back into shape again. I have another little gig coming up where I have to play, and so, man, I got to get it out of mothballs and get my fingers going again. So, that was a lot of fun getting that out. That's fun. That, that's good. You know, it gives you a nice, uh, nice break, too, from, uh, from the writing and, and something that you obviously have a joy and passion for. Uh, you are um, kind of a native to the Pacific Northwest, as I recall, and you're still living up in Idaho, aren't you? Right, yeah. I'm up in the Idaho Panhandle. Um, if you have any idea, you can see Cord Lane or Kellogg on the map. I'm up in that neck of the woods. Nice part of the country, and, uh, you know, you're not too far away from the action if you want it, and yet a uh, great way to get away in God's country and, and uh, be amongst the, uh, the tall ones, as they say. Oh, yeah, well, it's real pretty right now. We're finally getting into springtime, and, uh, boy, I can look out my window here and see snow-capped mountains, and then there's forest, and there's a river down below the house that's running real high now because the snow's melting. So. That's, a, that's a great inspiration, isn't it, for a writer, to have that kind of a, an environment in which to, to uh, be able to sit down and kind of uh, commune with God and nature and then uh, let the creative juices flow, isn't it? Well, there's such a wonderful feeling of serenity here, and just to walk out and hear the birds singing, and right now the, the blossoms are bursting out, and ooh, man, they're pretty. So it's a continual show out there. The Lord's always doing something. What's, um, what's anything in the works coming up now that you've got this one to press and already uh, made it to the New York Times bestseller list? Uh, do authors uh, think that far ahead? Uh, what do you look for when you say, okay, time to sit down and start putting another one down on paper? Well, what I do, what I'm doing right now is I'm just doing a lot of listening and thinking and praying and sorting things out. I'm exploring the church and its history and where it is now and where it's going. And I have some questions I'd like to grapple with and try to figure out. And I, I, I try to discern the mind of God in terms of what he wants me to write about. So it's not just it's not just necessarily spontaneous whatever hits the top of your mind. I mean, in the end there is a theme here in the sense that you want your readers to walk away both having been entertained and hopefully to get them to ask a lot of the right questions in 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 the realm toward where the Lord would want us to be thinking. Yeah, that's right. I, I view myself as uh, I guess I'm a builder and an equipper. I try to feed and equip and build the body of Christ and just keep them thinking, keep them growing. And I do that through stories, just the way Jesus did. Yeah, good example. And, and, and obviously a wonderful way to illustrate because it, it takes us into a realm that we can all either escape to or relate to. And at the very least, put us into that place where we start thinking and praying um, and, and hopefully really being earnest about uh, seeking after God. In the end, Frank, for those that are going to go run out and pick up a copy of your new book, Illusion, what do you hope that they take away from this particular book? Well, I think it's best said that there's a guy who wrote to me on Facebook, and he read the book, and he was married to his wife for 31 years. Well, he still is, <laughs> but he said, you know, I really enjoyed your book. And he, he named his wife, and she, her name is Tammy, and he said, you know, your book helped me to really appreciate my wife all the more. And I thought to myself, well, now there's somebody who really got the point of this book. <laughs> so is there, a, is there a big part of you and Barbara in this book? I mean, is there a lot of inspiration taken from your own relationship inside the pages of Illusion? Most 
certainly. I mean, we don't have the same story as Dave and Mandy do, but the emotions, the love, the uh, devotion is still there. And there are a few little snapshots of Barb in there that I borrowed from our real life, and I gave those to Mandy. So, yeah, I, I drew upon our relationship and my own feelings uh, and my own reflections of my love for her when I wrote this book. Does she get a, a chance to see that? In other words, before you say, okay, honey, I'm, I'm sending the manuscript off, does she get a chance to set eyes to that so she can kind of pass, to, pass the official approval? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the first one who gets a chance to read it. Actually, I read it to her as we're lying in bed there before we turn the lights off. If I've got a new chapter, I'll, I'll read it to her. And, uh-huh. <laughs> is there a sense, Frank, uh, that as you do so, if Barbara gives thumbs up, you know that you're heading in the right direction? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's times when she'll say, uh, she'll say if she doesn't get something or something went by her, then that helps me to fix it, too, and make sure that it works. And especially, you know, especially when one of my characters is a woman. Um, it's very helpful for me, a guy, to have a woman reading and hearing this to help me uh, stand on track as to how a woman deals with problems in life and how she thinks and what's important to her. Absolutely. And, and then what yeah. a great way to not only celebrate your own relationship, but then, as you say, when somebody is uh, emailing you or writing you to say, gee, Frank, the new book really helped me in my marriage relationship. Uh, what a delightful outcome. I know that in the end, it's got to be the heart's desire of every novelist like yourself, not only to entertain people, but to challenge them. And if somebody can grow and learn from a, a book like Illusion, even more so than it worth all the effort. Exactly. Yeah, I, I need to know that I'm making a difference out there. So it means a lot when people write or they come up to me and, and tell me what how the books have touched their lives. That's what makes the whole business worthwhile. That's what keeps me doing it. And clearly for all the millions that have gone out and picked up copies of your books down through the years, uh, Frank, you're making a difference and you're bringing a great deal of joy to all of us. And uh, no doubt readers of the new book will feel the same. Already on the New York Times bestseller list, the book Illusion, its author, our guest on this edition of Lifeline, Frank Peretti. Frank, is always a delight to have you on the show. Thanks for dropping by to visit. My privilege and an honor, too. Thank you very much. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, there have been statistics, and these are statistics I think that we all well, sadly, know too well, of what's happened with the divorce rate in America. Perhaps another alarming point to just how much pressure marriage is under in our nation today is the fact that growing numbers of couples aren't even bothering. By that I mean many are deciding since more than half of marriages in America today wind up in divorce court, why even bother? Just reside together. It'll make things less complicated when we decide that we're no longer fit for each other. But is that really God's design for marriage? And if your marriage is on the rocks right now and you and or your spouse have basically decided we've gone as far as we can go, let's just pull the bandage off all in one fell swoop and get it over with. Does that mean that your marriage is necessarily hopeless and destined to become just yet another statistic? My guest today on the program, I think, would suggest absolutely not. That perhaps, uh, much like when you need a major overhaul of your engine on the car or you, you need to go into the doctor and have surgery, there needs to be a radical approach, an intensive approach, to getting your marriage off the rocks and back on track again. Joining me on the program, Dr. Jared Pingleton. He's Director of Counseling with Focus on the Family. And Dr. Pingleton, great to have you on the program. 
Thank you. It's great to be with you, Craig. My pleasure. We talk about marriage, and there's been an exciting marriage, so to speak, between um, the Ministry of Focus on the Family and another organization that you have deep ties to that really has been at the forefront of saying to couples, look, you don't have to become another statistic, that as bad as it might be, as challenging as your relationship may be, there is no such thing as no hope at all. That's absolutely correct. Let's talk a bit about where we're at with statistics in America today. We talk about, on average, uh, one out of every, every two marriages ends in divorce. Are we simply taking the easy way out? Is that what this is about? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure, Craig. I know that we live in a culture that is very transitory, and, you know, we, we, we live in a throwaway society. You know, uh, we, we just don't have a good sense of what covenant is about, and we get very little, uh, I think, effective preaching and teaching as to what a covenant actually is. And so we have been now for about three generations into a culture that has the no-fault concept of, of divorce. And so yeah, if we're incompatible, you know, let's just uh, call it quits. And, you know, this throwaway society in which we live has unfortunately extended that to the realm of relationships. And that is absolutely antagonistic to everything that the Bible teaches. And we feel passionately about being able to understand how God is a redeemer, and not just in our heart, but in our relationships, and especially marriage here at Focus on the Family. You suggest that this is multi-generational, and you're, you're absolutely accurate on that point. And I wonder if part of the problem here is that we have multiple generations now that have never perhaps for themselves ever witnessed or experienced what a healthy, functioning marriage looks like. I mean, if, if one out of every two marriages ends in divorce, that means there's a good chance of every couple that gets together tomorrow, say, or are going to be at the altar next week, uh, likely one, if not both of them, come from a family that wound up in divorce. So maybe part of the problem is we're, we're just modeling the behavior that we've experienced because we know nothing different. We, we don't know what a healthy marriage looks like. Do you think maybe that's part of the problem, too? I, I absolutely do, Craig. I think that's absolutely correct. I uh, just wrote a book called Making Magnificent Marriages, and I, I have a whole chapter to your point of this whole difficulty that we have had of not having good examples lived out in front of us. And so we have this incredible cohabitation rate now among millennials in our culture. They have seen very poor marriages modeled in front of them, and so their whole idea of try before you buy to them makes sense. But the problem with that is there's no there's no foundation of trust. It's, it's building the proverbial marital house on sand. And without commitment, without covenant, it's impossible for a relationship to endure. And, and that's why I think we need to help people understand what a healthy marriage looks like. Um, so, and, and the irony is, you know, that about 40% of first marriages end in divorce. The irony is this, for people who cohabit, their breakup rate is 80%. Wow. So it's like, well, I don't want to have a failed relationship, so I'm going to double my odds of that actually <laughs> happening. And that's the incredible irony and deception that I think our culture is living under these days because uh, the vast majority of 20-somethings are either delaying marriage into their 30s or not marrying at all. They're just cohabitating. Well, you use the term covenant, and I think it's a very important one because it's a biblical one, and it is one that we have strayed from quite significantly over a number of generations, as you point out. And let's face it, if we go into a marriage or into a relationship with the idea that we're going to cohabitate to kind of take it for a test drive, both of the partners going into that relationship know deep down that at any day, the other partner could come into the door and say, you know what, I'm done. 
packing my bags and I'm leaving. There's no hope. There's no sense of commitment. There's nothing there that, that is a glue to hold us together. And so no wonder when we go in with, number one, the, the baggage we have of our own brokenness from being products of broken relationships. There's such a level of distrust that we, we build that relationship then not on a foundation of trust and confidence and covenant, as you suggest, but rather it's built at the very get-go by making a silent statement, I don't trust you. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what a cohabitating mindset says is, hi, I love you, but I don't trust you. Will you live with me? (laughs) And do so happily ever after. (laughs) There's no basis for security. There's no basis for any sense of being able to relax. The, The whole point of sex without commitment is antagonistic to the fundamental maxim of God's universe, that without exclusivity and permanence and unconditionality, there's nothing to create security, stability, and strength in a relationship. And so there's all kinds of things then that enter into the relationship, performance pressure, comparisons with others, and an ongoing continuous threat of fear. And, um, you know, if they find somebody else, why shouldn't they just jump out and hop into relationship with that other person? So it's, uh, it, it, it has a whole bunch of fear and anxiety that's just built in. So I, I just don't recommend it at all. And we wind up settling for less than the ideal. We wind up yes. settling for a marriage that exists but does not thrive. And as I think you might suggest from your background, um, prior to coming on board with Focus on the Family as Director of Counseling there, Dr. Pingleton was involved with the National Institute for Marriage. Would you suggest that marriages should not simply settle for getting along or second best, but in fact, under the right circumstances and, and ultimately with the right modeling and coaching, that marriages can not only survive but thrive? Is that possible? That That is absolutely correct, Craig. I, I believe that God's design for marriage is a redemptive process. Now, <clears throat> that's theological code word for saying that God delights in transforming blessing out of our brokenness. And the only way we can have that transformation take place is to get in touch with our brokenness. Mm. And so what marriage does, ironically, is it pulls the very worst out of us um, just by by means of osmosis, as it were. Uh, we get to reap everything that everybody else in our spouse's world sowed into their heart before we showed up. <laughs> hip, hip, hooray. But... <laughs> You know, marriage is the hardest thing I think there is to do well. And the research bears that out, too. And not just the divorce rates, but the marriage satisfaction rates suggest that about 5 to 12% of American marriages are mutually fulfilling. Wow, just 5%. That, yeah, 5 to 12%. And 90% of that 5 to 12% have been after 30 years or more. Mm. So marriage is hard. And yet, I think it is God's plan to redeem us. Well, don't you think, too, that if we, if we set our sights so low, uh, we have no sense of expectation coming in. We're, we're not willing to do the hard work. Uh, we right. come into the marriage relationship, admittedly or otherwise, broken. Even if, we, even if we came from a whole home where mom and dad were together the entire time, there, there's still the influence of the outside world and, and man's innate sin nature that brings a sense of brokenness into the marriage relationship. And then we set yes. no expectations at any level for excellence at all, uh, I guess when we go into marriage like that, anticipating disappointment, we shouldn't be surprised when we get it. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And yet we have all these other romanticized, idealistic expectations that come from Hollywood and Hallmark that we should live happily ever after. And that's just a, a romantic myth. That's a fairy tale. That's not reality. 
So I guess the question is, and I'm going to ask you to stay with us for one more segment because we need to dive deeper into this. The question then becomes, look, if we know and recognize that God has established the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, certainly God has, as we see throughout Scripture, high expectations for what that is. God has not designed this, as some folks might think, just to bring two people together to torture each other, but in fact to, to grow with one another and as they do so, grow closer to each other, closer to God, and to work through all of the baggage that, as we said before, we all bring into the marriage relationship. Now, how do we how do we learn to to sort of um, expunge or 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 deal with the pain and disappointment and hurt in our life to find healing, not only in our own lives but restoration and your marriage, even as on the rocks and hopeless as it might seem today, you might be listening to this conversation and saying, Craig, I, I understand what, what you and Dr. Pinkerton are saying, but you guys just don't understand. You've never met my wife, or you don't know my husband, or you just right. don't know the agony and the challenges that we've been through. And we've we've talked to our pastor, and that doesn't seem to work, and, and we've read a couple of books. We maybe even went into a couple of counseling sessions, but you don't understand. It is hopeless. Is it really, or are you simply saying that you've given up on God, that your marriage is beyond God's ability to restore it? Really? Do you really believe that? If you do, it's okay to admit that. But I want you to stay right where you're at, because when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into, as we've acknowledged what the problem is, where's the hope in all of this? Dr. Jared Pinkleton is with us today. He's the Director of Counseling with Focus on the Family. We're talking about an interesting marriage, a partnership, really, between our friends at Focus on the Family and the National Institute of Marriage. It has had a remarkable track record in bringing hope and healing and restoration to marriages, maybe even yours. Stay with us. We'll get back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. We continue our visit today. Dr. Jared Pingleton is with us today. He is Director of Counseling with Focus on the Family. We've been talking about the state of marriage in America today, and, and, and perhaps you are one of those statistics that we talked about earlier. Maybe you're at the point where you feel as if you've tried everything that you can. Your marriage is just simply Hopeless. That, of course, uh, Dr. Pingleton runs um, contrarian to God's ideal for marriage. And God certainly hasn't given up on this. This is a matter, though, of, of perhaps accurately and adequately looking at what we're, where we're at in our marriage relationship and, and what God wants to do to bring about healing and restoration, both in our lives individually and then together as a couple. Absolutely. God's design and plan for marriage is something that our culture has sort of adopted to feel like, well, they're not making me happy anymore, and so I need to find someone else. And that's just totally contrary to God's plan. That is, He wants us to to grow and to heal and to restore and redeem one another. But what marriage does is exposes the depths of our selfishness. It exposes the, um, the, the irony that, you know, we're hoping our love will cure the other person, and then we're disappointed when it doesn't. Uh, Craig, I'm a, as a clinical psychologist as well as a credentialed minister, one of the ironies that I've noticed over my career for 37 years is this. Without exception, almost every couple that comes into marriage therapy does so hoping their spouse will change. (laughs) (laughs) Always the other guy's fault, right? (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, the irony is when both of us change, whether the other one does or not, then and only then 
can God begin to work in each person's heart and life? Well, and you know, the irony of that is you talk about a level of frustration, Doctor, because if we come into a a challenges and and a rough spot in marriage and we entirely lay the blame on the other side uh, of the marriage relationship, and I I can see in some circumstances, you know, somebody eavesdropping on our conversation right now might say, well, guys, you don't understand. My husband did this. My wife did that. And right. you may have an adequate point, but here's the challenge. You have absolutely no control over their thought process or their behavior. But I tell you what you do have control over, and that is your own. Exactly. And that empowering of the individual to take responsibility for their own marriage covenant, I think, is crucial. And it's revolutionary. When both people get that, even if just one person in the marriage gets that, the marriage system changes. Because here's what God wants for us, Craig. He wants us to realize, hey, my covenant has nothing to do with my spouse. My covenant has to do with me. And I I elaborate this real fully in in my book about marriage, is that, you know, the the self-respect that's generated when I keep my marriage covenant, because I promise to love my wife unconditionally on days that end in Y, as long as I'm breathing, no matter what she does or doesn't do. And even if I could manipulate or control her into keeping her marriage vow, I wouldn't recommend it because of two things. Number one, I would never know if she did that because I made her, or because she wanted to. Mm. And so number two, that would actually create more insecurity for me, not, not, um, not less. It, it, it's like drinking salt water when thirsty, and that's what the culture kind of you know, emphasizes for us to do, is to try to control our maid into doing what we want them to do, to love us and respect us. And that's not what a marriage covenant is about. It is a unilateral, unconditional commitment to dedicating myself to serve my spouse in the best ways I know how with God's help. And let's face it, if we were to analyze a failed relationship at any level, whether we're talking about uh, you know, between two friends or two spouses, uh, oftentimes it's this issue of the expectations we place on another. And then they don't meet those expectations. Sometimes they don't even know that we have those expectations. And then we feel disappointed. And then our disappointment turns into bitterness. And the bitterness then gets a deep root in our heart. And before you know it, we've decided, ah, you're you're worthless. This marriage is never going to work out. And it's very easy to give up on it simply because we went into it with, with an inappropriate expectation of the other person to begin with. That's right. Let's we talk a bit about... To love us and make us happy. Exactly. Let's talk, uh, Dr. Pingleton, a bit about uh, providing hope for couples that are right sure. where we've been discussing. Now, we've all heard the stories about the couple that uh, calls the pastor and goes in for counseling, maybe even goes in to uh, meet with a professional counselor. And uh, for the hour that they're together, there's detente, and they're able to talk civilly because there's kind of a referee in the room. And, and then the minute they get back in the car and walk out the door, they're back to arguing. What is different in your experience about the approach that the National Institute of Marriage has taken? And again, I want to mention for listeners that have joined us late, there's a wonderful partnership now, a marriage really, between the Ministry of Focus on the Family and the National Institute of Marriage that has had an incredible success rate at bringing together marriages that are in really, really bad shape and putting them through an intensive session uh, that lasts more than just an hour. And at the end of the day, I understand that research has demonstrated that couples that are willing to take part in in this approach, two years after they've gone through it, are still together, still married, and in fact, back on the road toward healing. What's different about the approach taken by the National Institute of Marriage? 
Great question, Craig. And this is what we're so excited about in at Focus on the Family is that this approach that the National Institute of Marriage does, they're located in two locations in Branson, Missouri and Rome, Georgia. They offer an, a very creative and unique way to help couples heal that in a, less than a week, four or five days, they can get as much progress and health and healing uh, that it, than you would take on an average of one year of outpatient psychotherapy going once a week. What they do is a very concentrated and intensive version of helping people get to the root issues of what's going on in their marriage or what's not going on in their marriage that they want to. And they help each individual change, whether their spouse does or not. And the, the exciting thing about it is many of those couples are hanging by a thread. They've already filed the divorce papers, you know, if, if it doesn't work to, to be activated on Monday when they get home. And this is a last resort, desperation kind of thing. But but what they do um, and have for about 10 years at the National Institute of Marriage, and, and we're so excited that now Focus on the Family is, has joined with them and they with us, is this. They ask each individual, if God were to give you a miracle in your marriage, would you be willing to accept it? Hmm. And it's so awesome to see how God shows up every single week at, at those intensives where couples deal with issues that they feel absolutely hopeless and helpless about, and yet they, they see the change that takes place in themselves and in their spouse, and the miracle stories that happen there are just awesome. They are just amazing to see how God has restored and redeemed and reconciled hurting couples. And and this intensive time, it takes them away from the normal day-to-day environment. Because let's face it, it's it's hard to be at the office all day long or be a stay-at-home parent all day long and then go to a counseling session and then come back and you're you're right back in the same environment. And sometimes just getting away in a a change of pace and a change of environment can help to clarify your thinking, deepen your understanding, and and give you kind of the space that you need. Isn't it true? Give give them kind of the space that they need to be able to work through these issues. Yes, and and this intensive therapeutic format enables the couple to go deep because when you're starting to get into some deep pain and, you know, 45 minutes or 50 minutes is up, you have to sort of research the wound that you've surgically incised in and opened up that, that uh, pain and, and put duct tape and bailing wire on it basically till next week. And what this opportunity affords is, yes, to get away in a beautiful resort-like setting that's free from distraction and very relaxing and peaceful, but yet that opportunity to work concentratedly, intensively, without distraction, without other responsibilities or obligations. They do about eight hours of therapy every day, and then in the evenings there are directed um, learning exercises and interaction kinds of opportunities that each couple can participate in as well so that they can really, really focus exclusively and intensively on their marriage. And that investment works. Well, and you know, put this in perspective, we bring oftentimes uh, a whole childhood, a young adult life of pain and disappointment and the lack of of appropriate uh, healthy marriage modeling if we're coming from an abusive home or a broken home. And then we go into a marriage relationship and and we've got two broken people together now that are all of a sudden helping to break each other even more so, sometimes wittingly, sometimes not so. And so there's a lifetime of this hurt and disappointment and failed expectations that have accumulated. And so to say... Get away for two or three days. 
and let's try to put a Band-Aid on that. And I like your analogy. It, it, it's a lot like having heart surgery. You need a heart transplant. Yeah. If the doctor said, gee, I've got a golf game in 45 minutes, so we'll start today, then we'll search you up, then we'll come back tomorrow and we'll, we'll continue. And it might take me a week or so, but we'll finally get through it all. Well, you, you know what kind of pain and, and condition that patient would be in. So here's an intensive opportunity to work start to finish through the issues, through the pain, through the bitterness, through the disappointment. And at the end of this experience, I understand, uh, Dr. Pinkerton, that, that better than 85% of people walk away with a pretty significant breakthrough, don't they? Well, they do. And, and what the research shows that uh, they have done over the years is that after therapy, two years later, that 85% of those couples are still together that came to their anticipating divorce. So they have the best results in terms of success rates clinically of any program or any counseling kind of uh, intervention or model or modality in the country. All right. With that sense of perspective and hope, I, I trust you've heard something in our conversation today with Dr. Jared Pingleton that has said to you, okay, we still have another option here. And I want to urge you, hop on the Internet and go to nationalmarriage.com. That's nationalmarriage.com. And just get some more information. There are these intense retreats and conferences taking place all over the country. And you can go to the website to get more information. And uh, taking that first step, Dr. Pingleton, is oftentimes the, the, the step in the right direction that can ultimately lead to hope and restoration of a marriage. Absolutely. So again, on the web at nationalmarriage.com. That's nationalmarriage.com. And we're so delighted to see this marriage, really this partnership between Focus on the Family and the Ministry of National Marriage. And here now is an opportunity for you to find hope and healing and restoration of your own marriage. Again, on the web at nationalmarriage.com. And our thanks to Dr. Jared Pingleton, Director of Counseling with Focus on the Family. And Dr. Pingleton, thanks again for the time and the insights. My pleasure. Thanks for having me as a guest, Craig. God bless you all. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.